Let us pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, Father, thank you again for all your many blessings. I pray that you'll speak through me today. That the message that you have that we all comprehend it and we'll it'll help to change our lives for your soon coming. For this as in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I start, I see our singers right here, so I'll let him uh, have a special music. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Mirage, for that beautiful song, Were You There? Sometimes I wish there was time travel. I, I kind of would like to go back there, you know, when, when, when Christ did all this for us, and just see, you know, even though I couldn't speak the language, but be interested just to see. Behold, something is on the horizon. Your Worship, case number 63487-351, The Peoples versus Scott Hardy. Mr. Hardy has been charged with associating with known heretics, congregating on Saturday worship services, and failing to attend mandatory Sunday worship service. The judge looks at you and says, Mr. Hardy, how do you plead? At that very moment, all eyes are focused on you. You can feel your heart racing. The palms of your hands are getting sweaty. You know very well if you are found guilty, then it's death by public execution. You look over at the prosecution lawyer, and even though you haven't been in trouble with the law before, the file folder in front of them seems quite thick, like you've been in trouble with the law since you were a teenager. And then you look over at the judge. You know that you are just a number in their court system. Hundreds have passed this spot before you. Hundreds will pass after you. You look down. Shackles are around your ankles. Your hands are handcuffed. You look back up. You take a deep breath to give your answer. I ask you this today. You need to ask yourself this today. In that scenario, how would you plead? I'll give you a few moments to think about that. You see, we know that time is getting short. We see prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes. The beast's power is getting stronger. I have heard that there should be a common rest day or family day. Do you think that they would choose the Sabbath day as that common rest day for the world? I very much, much doubt it. But I bet that we all know the day that they would choose. On June 18th, 2015, with the release of Pope Francis's 184-page encyclia on climate change entitled Praise Be You on the Care of Our Common Home, section 237 states, and I quote, Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world, end quote. If you look out over time, can you see something on the horizon? As each day passes, we are one day closer to end time events. In last day events, chapter 5, Ellen White writes, The storm is coming. The storm that will try every man's faith. 
of what sort it is. Believers must now be firmly rooted in Christ or else they will be led astray by some phase of error. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in its righteousness. Unless we become vitally connected with God, we can never resist the unhallowed effects of self-love, self-indulgence, and temptation to sin. We may leave off many bad habits for the time. We may part company with Satan, but without a vital connection with God through the surrender of ourselves to him moment by moment, we shall be overcome. Did you catch that warning? I'm going to reread that last sentence just in case the sound of my voice was putting you to sleep. We may leave off many bad habits. For the time, we may part company with Satan. But without a vital connection with God, through the surrender of ourselves to him moment by moment, we shall be overcome. It didn't say we may be overcome. It said we shall be overcome. We shall be overcome. Without a personal acquaintance with Christ and a continual communion, we are at the mercy of the enemy and shall do his bidding at, in the end. Right now, take a moment of reflection of your life. Are you really ready for the severe trials to take place? I heard a few years ago that the United States purchased 30,000 guillotines. Now, that story may be true, and then again, it may not be true. But if it is true, my only question would be, why? Why would they even think of buying them? And for what reason? I read an article on the New York Daily News website for April 21st, 2017. Now, Leslie Stahl is interviewing Ninth Circuit Appeals Judge Alex Korzenke. When interviewer, when interviewer Leslie Stahl mentions that Korzenke favors death by firing a squad, the longtime justice quips, never fails. Then she brings up his support of the guillotine, a late 18th century device that chops off the head. Well, you know, it's 100% effective. Kozenki said of the device made famous for beheading aristocrats during the French Revolution, and it leaves no doubt that what we are doing is a violent thing. If we as a society are willing to take away human life, we should be willing to watch it. End quote. Does this type of talk surprise you? Well, it shouldn't. As time goes on, morality will degrade. In Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. In Book 4, The Spirit of Prophecy, Chapter 33, Ellen White writes, Conscientious obedience to the Word of God will be treated as rebellion. 
blinded by Satan, the parent will exercise harshness and severity towards the believing child. The master or mistress will oppress the commandment-keeping servant. Affection will be alienated. Children will be disinherited and driven from home. The words of Paul will be literally fulfilled. All that will li li live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 as defenders of truth refuse to honor the Sunday Sabbath, some of them will be thrust into prison, some will be exiled, some will be treated as slaves. To human wisdom, this, all this now seems impossible. But as the restraining spirit of God shall be withdrawn from men, and they shall be under the control of Satan, who hates the divine precepts, there will be strange developments. The heart can be very cruel when God's fear and love are removed. As a storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third message but have not been sanctified through it abandon their position and take refuge under the banner of the power of darkness. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. Ask yourself this question. Could you, right now, defend your faith in court? In Book 4 of the Spirit of Prophecy, Chapter 33, Ellen White writes, Those who are arraigned before the courts make a strong vindication of truth, and some who hear them are led to take their stand to keep all the commandments of God. Thus, light is brought before thousands who otherwise would know nothing of these truths. I'll again, I'll ask you this again. Could you write at this moment, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands, but answer this question to yourself. If the police were to come in right now, arrest you, throw you in prison while you waited your court date without the use of your smartphone, without the use of Google, Without the use of your Bible, could you, before the judge, before the prosecution lawyer, before the jury, could you defend your faith? Do you even know what you believe? Can you even, without the help of any device, say the core values? Do you know, by heart, the 28 fundamental beliefs? Holy Scriptures, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creation, Nature of Man, Great Controversy, Life, Death, and Resurrection of Christ, Experience of Salvation, Growing in Christ, Church, Remnant and Mission, Unity in the Body of Christ, Baptism, The Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts and ministries, 
the gift of prophecy, law of God, Sabbath, stewardship, Christian behavior, marriage and the family, Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, second coming of Christ, death and resurrection, millennium and the end of sin, and the new earth. Do you know by heart the scriptural texts that support the validity of the 28 fundamental beliefs? I want to give you a little scenario. A 10-kilometer running race is two years from now. There are two runners. We'll just call them Runner A and Runner B. Now, Runner A trains eight hours per day. He wakes up early in the morning and jogs 10 kilometers every day. He drinks plenty of pure water and is very mindful of his diet, only eats the best whole foods and stays away from addictive substances. He gets a good night's sleep every night. He is only focused on one thing, having a lean machine to win the race. Now let's look at Runner B. Runner B does not wake up early in the morning to go jogging. Actually, he doesn't jog at all because to him, he's going to win that race. He does drink up plenty of pop, though. Runner B just loves his little addictive treats and late nights watching TV. Month by month goes by until the big day. Both runners are at the starting line. Both runners have their outfits on. Both runners believe they are going to win. From the bleachers, the spectators see the two runners. At the end of the race, there will be just one winner and one loser. There are no second places in this race. In Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones took. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The fuller ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. How is your race going? What runner do you identify yourself with? Runner A trains and keeps his body free of addictive substances, while runner B does not train and enjoy his little addictive substances. Now both are considered as runners. 
I would like to focus on addictive substances that some of us are into. On the website brainbefit.com, it states, brain fog includes symptoms of confusion, forgetfulness, and lack of focus and mental clarity. It is avoidable and treatable. Brain fog is not a medically recognized term, but is commonly used phrase that sums up feelings of confusion, forgetfulness, lack of focus, and mental clarity. Having brain fog is fairly common, but it is not normal. When you're feeling foggy, unfocused, and like you just can't think, your brain is sending an important signal that there's an imbalance in your life that needs to be addressed. The causes of brain fog generally fall into one of two main categories. Either it's lifestyle related or a side effect of a medical condition or medication. There are eight main causes of brain fog. I'll be focusing on just cause number one. Brain fog, cause number one. Are you eating the wrong foods? One of the first things you may think when your brain gets foggy is, was it something I ate? And often you be right. Here are some of the many ways the foods you eat could be behind your fuzzy thinking. A video A, please. Sugar, sucrose, is made up of one molecule of glucose and one molecule of fructose. Fructose is in honey, it's in fruit juice, it's in high fructose corn syrup. It's what makes the really sweet stuff sweet. Okay, now you wouldn't think twice about not giving your kid a Budweiser, but you don't think twice about giving your kid a can of Coke, but they're the same. This is Robert Lustig. He's one of the biggest factors in bringing the detrimental effects of sugar to light. At first, he can sound a bit over the top when talking about sugar. Sugar is poison. It is a chronic, dose-dependent, hepato liver toxin. However, he can back all of these statements up with more than 16 years of medical research, academic discourse, policy analysis, data analysis, a whole lot of patient care, and maybe the most important, the biochemistry of how sugar is processed in the body. There's all sorts of compelling statistics we could talk about, but the actual mechanisms that cause sugar to have such bad effects in the body paint a much clearer picture. Once you understand how sugar is processed in the body, it leaves very little debate as to whether or not sugar could be considered a toxin. And you start to see how a lot of modern health issues are caused by sugar. Sugar. Redefined carbohydrates like sugar and high fructose corn syrup send your blood sugar levels skyrocketing up and then crashing down. And since your blood sugar Oops. And since your brain uses glucose as its main source of fuel, this puts your brain on a roller coaster ride. First too much, then too little glucose. Low blank glucose leads to brain fog, mood swings, irritability, tiredness, mental confusion, and impaired judgment. On the website psychologytoday.com, it states depression, the roller coaster of high blood sugar followed by a crash may accentuate the symptoms of mood disorders. Research has tied heavy sugar consumption to an increased risk of depression and worse outcomes in individuals with schizophrenia. There are a couple of theories explaining the link. Sugar suppresses activity of the hormone called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, 
that is low in individuals with, de with depression and schizophrenia. Sugar is also at the root of chronic inflammation, which impacts the immune system, the brain and the other systems in the body, and also has been implicated in depression. Interesting. Interestingly, countries with high sugar intake also have a high rate of depression. Vero B, please. The real issue is that a lot of people could be overdosing on sugar without even realizing it. Ever since the low-fat craze, our food supply has become more and more overrun with added sugars and now 80% of our food has sugar added to it. One of the reasons is that if you take the fat out of something, it tastes like garbage. If you're a food company looking to maximize your profit, your product needs to appeal to health-conscious consumers and it needs to taste good. So you take the fat out of the product so you can market it as low fat and then you put sugar in where the fat was so that it still tastes good. In fact, food companies found out that you can make almost anything taste better by putting some sugar in it. The bliss point is a term the food industry uses to describe the point at which a product is most likable for the majority of consumers. And the majority of consumers like more sugar than less. So the bliss point is going to be the point at which the maximum amount of sugar has been added before the product becomes too sweet. This includes anything from bread to pizza sauce to salad dressing. Sugar used to be way more expensive than it is nowadays. Way back in 1319, it sold for about $50 a pound. But as sugar cane and sugar beet cultivation improved and the refinement process became more advanced, sugar became significantly cheaper. Then things got really cheap with the advent of high fructose corn syrup, which again is almost identical to sugar. Because of the way subsidies are managed in the United States, we end up with a massive amount of corn. In 2010, 32% of the world's corn supply, $63.9 billion worth, came from US farmers. That's a lot of corn. No wonder this corn derived sweetener is in almost everything. High fructose corn syrup and sugar have built up a bad reputation over time, but there's 54 other names for sugar that the food industry can use to have us feeling better about their products while keeping the sugar in. This is how even the more health conscious people can end up consuming more than twice the daily recommended intake of sugar without even knowing it. And now we have the question, are you addicted to sugar? If you're like most people, you're fulfilling your cravings at almost every meal without even knowing it. So how could you tell? With something like caffeine, you can take a pretty good guess about whether or not you have some dependence on it. You can just go without coffee for a while and see how you feel. However, with sugar, it will take some deliberation and careful label reading to properly cut it out from your diet. But I really recommend you do try cutting it out so you can know how you feel without it. It's important to know whether or not you are dependent on this stuff because, as I'll discuss in my next video, sugar has some particularly negative effects on your health. Disease doesn't happen with one meal, but it happens with a thousand. But that's what we have because now sugar is with every meal. Addiction. Although controversial, a growing body of evidence points to the addictive potential of sugar both drugs and, to a lesser extent, sugar and processed junk food floods the brain with a feel-good chemical dopamine, over time changing the function of the brain.
In a study by researchers at Yale University, the simple sight of a milkshake activated the same reward centers of the brain as cocaine among people with addictive eating habits. A 2007 study showed that rats actually preferred sugar to cocaine. Rats given fatty and sugary products demonstrated classic symptoms of addiction and including tolerance and withdrawal symptoms when the products were taken away. Sugar may also compromise cognitive abilities such as learning and memory. In an animal study by the University of California, Los Angeles, six weeks of taking a fructose solution similar to soda caused the rats to forget their way out of a maze. Slide C, please. I'm going to leave this slide up here for the remainder of the sermon so you can have a good look at it. Councils on Diet and Food, Chapter 19, Ellen White writes, Sugar is not good for the stomach. It causes fermentation, and this clouds the brain and brings pervivness into the disposition. Far too much sugar is ordinarily used in foods, cakes, sweet puddings, pastries, jams, jellies, are active causes of indigestion. Especially harmful are the custards and puddings in which milk, eggs, and sugar are the chief ingredients. The free use of milk and sugar taken together should be avoided. Sugar clogs the system. It hinders the working of the living machine. We should not be prevailed upon to take anything into the mouth that will bring the body into an unhealthy condition no matter how much we like it. Why? Because we are God's property. You have a crown to win, a heaven to gain, and a hell to shun. Then for Christ's sake, I ask you, will you have the light shine before you in clear and distinct rays, and then turn away from it and say, I love this, and I love that? God calls upon every one of you to begin to plan, to cooperate with God in his great care and love, to elevate, ennoble, and sanctify the whole soul, body, and spirit, that we may be workers together with God. It is better to let sweet things alone. Let alone those sweet dessert dishes that are placed on the table. You do not need them. You want a clear mind to think, after God's order. Ellen White uh, State Daily Devotional for March 10, 2018. The controlling power of appetite will prove the ru ruin of thousands when, if they have conquered on this point, they would have had moral power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. But those who are slaves to appetite will fail in perfecting Christian character. The continual transgression of man for 6,000 years has brought sickness, pain, and death as its fruits. As we near the close of time, Satan's temptation to indulge appetite will be more powerful and more difficult to overcome. I ask you this today. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back soon? If your answer is yes, do you believe the Bible? If again your answer is yes, then the Bible states very clearly that Satan will have a deception, a deception so great that, if possible, it could deceive the very elect. Last Day Events, page 170, Ellen White writes, 
so closely will the counterfeit resemble the truth that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. Ellen White has a very serious statement that I would like to share with you today. Christian Services, page 41, Ellen White writes, It is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in twenty whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as a common sinner. Manuscript Releases, Book 19, it states, Those who have the opportunity to hear and receive the truth and who, and who have united with the Seventh-day Adventist Church call themselves as commandment-keeping people of God and yet possess no more vitality and consecration to God than do the nominal churches, will receive the plagues of God just as the churches who oppose the law of God. Only those that are sanctified through the truth will compose the royal family in the heavenly man mansions. Christ has gone to prepare for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let's reread the scripture reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminites. I did not know what that word meant. I guess it means guys dressing up in women's clothing. I actually had to Google it and find out what it was. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor convertuates, nor drunkards. I would like to stop at nor drunkards. If Dr. Robert Lustig is correct, and sugar has the same effect on us as alcohol does, let's change our perspective here. Let's look at this from a holy God's perspective. He sees his children knowingly ingesting a toxic substance. A substance that hurts his temple in 1 Corinthians 6.19. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? You see, God in his love has given us warning about sugar through Ellen White a hundred years ago. Medical science is showing that it is a poison to our bodies, just like alcohol. Can the Holy Spirit really come in to dwell with us? Alcohol affects the liver. Sugar is a poison to the liver. Alcohol affects a person's judgment. We've all heard the saying, don't drink and drive. Sugar can cause brain fog. In other words, it can affect your judgment. To a holy God looking down, able to see us at a cellular level, are we intoxicated? Or as the Bible would say, drunkards? You see, I don't believe sh that sugar being placed in virtually all of our food is just by chance. I think this is a brilliant strategy from a brilliant mind that was able to captivate one-third of the heavenly angels to follow him. If Satan can keep our minds clouded by our sugar-induced diets, then he has a very good chance on us 
being deceived. The storm is coming. Will you be ready to face it? Thank you.